Hi, this is Roger Steen from The Tubes, and you're listening to Talking Blues. Thank you. That was wonderful. You've done this before. Well, a little bit. I'm not the go-to guy for interviews. <laughs> I, uh, I, have, I feel uncomfortable when I make up stuff. <laughs> it's, it's like you got to keep talking, and it's, uh, I'm not very good at that. Um, is that by choice? Is it just something that you you didn't really seek out in terms of not doing a lot of interviews? I I've never been uh, comfortable with it. I don't know. I I'm kind of more of a behind the scenes guy. I always felt uh, like the first time we went to to Europe, you know, we. We went to England and and we got off the plane and there was like a big press uh, grouping there and we were all it was like we were watching the Beatles or something only we were the we were the band and uh, it's just you know I had anxiety I had I wasn't comfortable with it at all I I uh, never wanted to be in front and center so I don't know and, just me and then when you're up on stage how do you feel when you actually playing is that a totally different thing yeah kind of i, I mean i, I you want to be you want to be engaged with the audience and you want to hopefully have them be happy and and appreciative of what you're trying to do um and yeah that's that seems to be not the same for some reason because i i feel kind of i feel kind of free when I'm when we're performing live, but as far as uh, okay, you gotta do an interview or you gotta uh, you know engage with some business p- part of it or something. I, I always feel kind of like oh geez, I don't want to do that. <laughs> so uh, yeah, I've been I'm I'm more comfortable working not on camera, be uh, off camera. But I so I really appreciate you doing this. Um, let's begin by tell me how you got into the guitar. Oh well, you know it's the same story as everybody. It's at my age, it was all Beatles. You know, we saw Beatles on TV, and uh, boy, that was like. Well, before that, I saw I saw you know Presley and stuff, and that was interesting. But the Beatles really hit it home. Uh, I remember sitting on the couch with my mom, uh, and we were just like, wow. Uh, <laughs> and it was so mysterious and, and wonderful, and their bell-like harmonies and stuff. It was just uh, really got us. And uh, I grew up, actually grew up on a farm in South Dakota. Oh. And But my dad had all kinds of uh, musical instruments in the house, and he was kind of a, he wasn't like everybody else. He had, I mean, he had like a 16 millimeter projector and, uh, you know, 16 millimeter film and he'd film things and he had an airplane and uh, he, we had two, two pianos in the house. We had two, uh, two accordions. We had up in the attic, we had a trumpet, we had a clarinet, you know, we had many, many different things. And we had an old guitar up there that had two strings on it. And, uh, you know, I'd go up in the attic and plunk around on it just because it was, this was even before I saw the Beatles, but just because there was instruments laying around, right? And uh, then when, after I saw the the Beatles, then it was like, that at that time we'd moved to Arizona because of my mother's health, and um, you know I was I asked can I can I sell my golf clubs and get and get a guitar? <laughs> you know, I was like twelve or thirteen or something. I was like, nah. But eventually, my dad always came through. He'd, he'd say no, 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 and then he'd he'd get me something better than I wanted. So. So that was the end of your golf career. Well, I've always been sort of uh, into sports, you know. I played a lot of tennis and and, uh, golf for 
you know, if you live in Arizona, you play golf. So it was just something that everybody did. But ne- I was never serious about it. Just fun. Tried to do the best I could. Tell me about the journey on the guitar. Once you got it, did it come easy to you? No. It's, uh, I've had to really work for everything on the guitar. I'm, I'm not a whiz. I, I'm not super gifted or anything. I'm just, uh, I just love it. Uh, it's a life's journey. There's always something new to learn, and uh, it interests me. And uh, it's really, when I think about it, it's really the only thing I, I want to do. You know, it's just, I'm, I'm sure I'm speaking for a lot of people when I say that, because mm-hmm. it's, it's just an interesting instrument. And thank God it's hung around this long, you know. Uh, it's, it's the, the interest in the guitar has just, I don't know how long it's gone now. It's, it's been since the since the 40s really it started happening and you know as far as the public the public's interest in it and it's still going you know trying to be like uh did you watch the grammys i actually didn't okay they got this they had this little uh salute to eddie van halen which i heard was only 15 seconds long or something yeah it was like it's like who did that it's like some edm guy or something okay we're phasing out the guitar let's let's get rid of it so uh yeah that was disappointing but um yeah it it just it's all things guitar you know uh, and were you obsessed with it what? Did you become obsessed with the guitar? Was not it? obsessed. I, I'm not that kind of a person. I, I have a, I have a fondness for things, and I and I like to enjoy them. But um, if I was obsessed with it, I'd be a lot better player, you know, <laughs> for sure. I get I get I get interested, and I and I learn how to do a technique or or learn a song or something, and then it's not like, you know, it it's. It's not like uh, I'm addicted to it. It's it's just something I I, I'm, I have a fondness for, you know. So, so at what point did did you decide I need to follow this, pursue this very seriously? Um, well, I told my parents I wanted to do it um, about when I was eighteen. I was going to. I was going to college in Arizona, and I was basically a uh, math and science major, and uh, thinking I was going to be some sort of a civil engineer or something. And uh, we had a band, me and my friends had a band, and uh, just kind of got popular and, uh, you know, had a lot of gigs and kind of took over my life. And of course, the schoolwork suffered because of that. Because I just the interest wasn't there, and uh, when I when I should have been studying, I was playing. So um, that kind of that sort of uh, support and and uh, acknowledgement kind of makes you carry on with it, right? And so we. We became fairly popular band in in uh, Arizona, and it just kind of kept going. And then Prairie Prince, the drummer, and and me, and we had a bass player, and uh, you know, uh, Mike Cotton was uh, he used to do our light show, and uh, we'd play like Jimi Hendrix stuff. We were we got to see Hendrix a couple times, and uh, that was very impressive and so we kind of followed in that that route but uh prairie got a scholarship to the art college in in san francisco after he graduated he was a year younger than me so we were playing a lot of gigs and stuff and we wanted to keep the band together so we all kind of moved up to San Francisco together, and Fee at that time, the, our lead singer was our roadie, and uh, Mike also was at the art school, and uh, so we we landed in San Francisco, and uh, the first year 
in San Francisco, we were living out in the Sunset District, and I was looking in the newspaper and saw that there was a, a, a World's Fair in Osaka, Japan, and they were looking for talent to, to uh, play at the fair. So I asked our, we had a manager too, who was with us, and uh, I asked him to look into it, and he got us an audition. We went down to Japantown and played for this one guy in a giant room. He liked us, so we got to play at the World's Fair in 1970 Wow! in Osaka. We got to be over there for two months, and we played uh, on the ship on the way over. Back then, it was uh, American President Lines. Uh, it was like a Cleveland and a, I don't know how many ships they had, but it was a big passenger ship, so we were like, crew and passengers running around 18 years old on this cruise ship you know uh two weeks over two weeks back and a couple months in japan and that was a great thing were you playing hendrix uh, stuff at that point was this still like yeah hendrix and early fleetwood mac uh with you know peter green style stuff um and we had we were playing some original stuff too, stuff that I'd written and the bass player, David Killingsworth had written. And uh, that was really cool. And then when we got back from that trip, uh, we found that the Beans had moved up to San Francisco and they were living in our house because they couldn't afford their rent. I mean, you know, you just went up there with no gigs or anything. You just, you know, try to find your way. That's what we, that's what we did. It was early seventies and everybody was, the war was going on and, you know, the protesting the war and it was, it was a pretty dynamic time, you know, I mean, and, uh, a lot of great music came out of this, San Francisco area around that time, correct? Yeah, yeah. So we felt like we were in the center of the, it, well, it was after the summer of 69, but uh, we were st we still felt like we were in the middle of it, you know. And was it easy to kind of gain traction for your band when you just come from Arizona to, to make a name for yourself in, in San Francisco? Yeah, yeah, that's why we got into the visual thing, because we were grasping on how to... Uh, get noticed, you know, because there's so many bands and, you know, we weren't phenomenal uh, players. We, we were a good band, but uh, and we, I thought we sang good and, and it was a, you know, it was a good experience to watch us. But as far as us jumping ahead of anybody in line, uh, I don't know. So, and of course, we were very sort of um, diverse, which is still was was always our problem, really, to pigeonhole us into some sort of a a saleable bin was was difficult for the tubes. Um, so we uh, we we were doing shows, and and uh, I would sing, Bill would sing, the uh, Bill Spooner, the other guitar player, and and then uh, we had Fee, who who could. You know, he could sing pretty good, too. So we sort of changed our, our look into having him be the focus of the band because it would it would get more of a, uh, you know, a simpler, simpler, you know, what are we what are we looking at? Well, we're looking at a band as this this lead singer and uh, they they do some funny stuff. They make jokes and they do funny stuff. And this guy dresses up once in a while into costumes and. So that was kind of became our thing, you know. A fee would come out and in some outfit, and we'd do a tune that kind of supported it. And then he'd run off stage, and me, me or Bill would sing a song, and then he'd come back, and and it kind of developed from there till where that was our thing. Can you explain how Fee, who was your roadie in your band, how he became? Like I don't, I understand what you just said, but. How does the roadie ultimately become the lead singer? Well, like I said, uh, you know, we 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 were a fun band. We were always trying to make jokes and and entertain. And Fee was very good. Uh, he was a 
more extroverted than the rest of us, really. He want, He's a ham. He wants to be up there, you know, doing his, his pratfalls and making his jokes and, and, you know, having everyone look at him. And that's that's something I don't do that well, and he does it really well. So we realized that we got this guy who who wants that. You know, he wants to be the focus. He wants to be the guy that people are looking at, and he's pulling it off. People are laughing, and they think it's funny. Uh, so, you know, after we got back from Japan and uh, we lost the bass player, he, we we just kind of fell out uh, personality-wise. And Prairie and I were looking for a, uh, a a bass player. We actually ran ads in the Rolling Stone at that time. That's how long ago it was, looking for bass players. And they'd come over to our house in, in San Francisco and, and jam with us. But at that time, um, I remember sitting with Fee in my in my bedroom. Just We were just singing together, you know. And that's kind of how I realized Fee could actually sing pretty good. He had a really good voice. Mm-hmm. So... He also had a theatrical background, did he not? Yeah, yeah, he did. He he was in uh, plays in in college and in high school. So when you decided that you would become more of a visual band, what did that take? What did that mean for the band and the way you created music? Well, it was, uh, you know, Mike Cotton was uh, an artist, and he was a part of the group, too, and he became our synthesizer player but he his his real focus is in is in art design and stage design and uh visual things you know and uh he helped develop that whole part of it we uh we had made a lot of friends in the san francisco bay area and we had video people that were interested in developing that part of the the business and we used to perform with a lot of tv monitors on stage with recorded routines where you know you'd talk to the the tv and the tv would answer and stuff like that we had this guy tj mccose who was uh in charge of all of our video stuff and you know this all those elements sort of gave us a name and gave us a, a unique entity i guess you'd say uh and that's re- really kind of got us our first record deal too was the fact that we sent them a, a video of a, our show with us interacting with video and uh you know that kind of was part of the 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 bait that got us a deal did you were you surprised by that or did you ex- i guess you wouldn't expect that but did it surprise you that you, you, you got the attention of the record company so quickly? Well, I wouldn't say it was quickly, but uh, it was it was good. I mean, uh, I, I'm torn between uh, wanting it to be that way and the way it went. I was, I was more, I always felt uh, that we should be more focused on developing the the music side of things uh, you know but I was quiet and I and I didn't want to be the guy that was the log in the road right so I always just kind of bit my tongue and as we spent you know years and years developing our stage show and all that stuff I went along with it because it was successful you know I actually tried to I was having a, a bit of a I don't know what you call a crisis or something, trying to believe that this was what I wanted to do. And I actually went to an analyst to, uh, you know, talk about it. And the guy said, yeah, you got to stay with this. This It's a good thing, you know, (laughs) because I I just felt it was kind of silly to to be, you know, doing what we were doing and not be more focused on trying to create better music. But, you know... It was what we were doing, and and it was a success. So, I w- I b- I went along with what his advice was. <laughs> I wonder. So I'm still doing it. <laughs> I, I wonder at what point did you question that? Like, at, at what point of the band did you think? Right, right from the beginning. Oh, okay. 
really, right from the beginning. I thought, uh, is this really a good thing? And uh, that was uh, just something I had to think a lot about and, and decide if it was right for me. Okay, but and, what I remember, you know, so back in 75 when I first saw your tour, and it was a big, big event. I was yeah. in grade 10. I remember it was a midnight show, which was different. Really? Yeah. Um, I mean, different from, from my concert-going experience that I, I wouldn't usually go see a concert at 12 o'clock at night. And I just remember, I actually actually did a theater arts report on your show, as I recall, in grade 10. Ah. Because it was so theatrical. But it was, I wouldn't say unheard of, but it wasn't a regular thing that a, a, a new band would tour and be the headliner and also have such a buzz, which I remember you having back then. Tell me about that experience of that first tour, what that was like for you. Well, it was uh, the first tour. Um, it was like we were kind of, I remember being kind of, you know, not we weren't really that happy because we didn't think we were getting the tour support we wanted. And we, we felt as though that, uh, nobody knew we were there, but, and, you know, in some cases, I guess like what you're talking about, they, they were doing a good job. Mm -hmm. So, um, sometimes it was just, people weren't ready for us sometimes until they kind of got the feeling of, you know, what the deal was, but, it was it was shocking at the time. <laughs> it was. <laughs> Did we do uh, "Don't Touch Me" there when we saw us I there? So yes, yeah. yeah. There was nudity, which was you know different, right? <laughs> yeah, it was uh, probably that's why it was after twelve o'clock or something. Yeah, I think so. so. You know, it was. Uh, we were from San Francisco, and it wasn't. It didn't seem to be. To us, it didn't seem nasty or it didn't seem, uh, we were just kind of, uh, you know, a cabaret band doing a show, you know, it was, that's kind of what we all always were. It, even in the, when we did our punk thing, like when the, we did the live record, the, we did the Hammersmith Odeon and we did, uh, Johnny Bugger and the Dirt Boxes and we were a punk band. People thought we were a real pu- uh, punk band, you know. But we were just doing an act. We were doing a cabaret act, really. And that's kind of how we approached a lot of our stuff. Okay, so two things come to my mind talking to you. One, when you said that um, about you not being good as a guitar player, or probably not as good as you'd like to be. But I think of the tubes, and I think you guys musically never got credit for how good musicians you were, especially in playing so many different styles of music. You know, it wasn't like you just did one thing. You did many, many different things. And Yeah, and that's probably the reason why <laughs> we were we kind of diffused uh, what we were doing, uh, you know. Well, I mean, I, I think we, we, we pulled off a lot of stuff, you know. And we had a good, even before our success at Capitol, uh, we had a really good following, so, you know, we we could people could tell we were we were sort of innovative and and trying to come up with some interesting stuff so you know it's great to that for, to get that sort of appreciation you know um i i'm going to stick with the humble thing cuz <laughs> I, I i just i feel like i i pull stuff off when 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 i'm playing but um as far as as being a, a master i'm far from it you know but I always, I always enjoyed the flexibility or the versatility of the different musical genres that you guys play. And I always thought, they really don't get that credit to say how good they execute these songs. But that's just a personal thing. The other thing that amazes me is knowing the show that I saw in 75, and I think I saw you again in 78. I mean, this was a big show. I don't know how many people you had on your entourage, but this is... 30 plus. Yeah, and I can't imagine... Knowing a little bit about theater, I can't imagine having what it would cost to take a show like that on the road. It was uh, not a moneymaker. <laughs> so the idea would be 
go out there, get known. Hopefully, we sell more records. Well, that was the plan. Um, we we signed away, uh, you know, publishing for tour support. Uh, our management did some some uh, not good things for the for the players in the band, for the songwriters. Um, but to do the show, we had to, to have money to do it. And, uh, it was, it was not, not a moneymaker, you know, there was just too many people. Everybody that worked for us was very happy. We took care of them and, uh, you know, it all, the band suffered. Everybody got paid and the band made, uh, peanuts, you know, but it was, we were doing it because we were a bunch of hippies that wanted it to, to be successful and, and be a good show for everybody. And, you know, uh, looking back, it's sort of silly and kind of stupid, but, um, it's also, we, we hit like a time when, uh, the whole, signing a record deal was kind of coming to an end of you know for getting a seven record deal you know we got we got on the end of that you know like and even even though capital dropped us after three records we we were signed to a seven record deal and you know that doesn't happen much anymore i don't know if it happens at all anymore probably not uh, uh you know and that that sort of uh, development and 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 uh, commitment has translated over time for for us. I mean, we can go we where, wherever we go, we can we people come up with our albums and and want autographs and stuff all over. It's you know, it's in the long run, there was that was all good. In the in the sense of a tour. I mean, there were, I think there was one year where we were like the top touring band on the Billboard charts. One summer, we were like the top grossing band. You, the band, the band itself wouldn't have known that. <laughs> you know, we didn't. Nothing changed for us. You know, but uh, the band created a lot of money. I think for a while. So, I think of you. You mentioned the live album, and I think of your song "Show Me a Reason." which is one of my favorite songs from that album. Um, I always thought, like, why wouldn't that song have done better? You know, like, to me, it's a beautiful song. Um, And I wonder... It actually actually was a single in in England. Okay. It didn't get much of a push, but they actually tried to make a single out of it. So do you think maybe your theatrical show might have taken away from maybe the musicality of things in some ways? I do. I do. I I think that, uh, you know, people maybe didn't uh, give us the credibility because we were were seen as a more of a a different sort of an act, not an authentic bunch of musicians that were writing uh, interesting music or, or soulful music or something that mattered it was more of a i don't know how to say it show uh, i guess yeah it's more of a show band sort of a thing uh yeah i i do believe that i i i think we could have uh had better support on some of our songs um but you know that's that's just when it happens, it happens, and if it doesn't happen, you know, you just got to m- march forward because, I don't know, it's, I wish we would have had a little more support sometimes. That's that's one thing I can say. Right. So, you know, there's, there's the A&M tubes, and then there is the Capitol record tubes. It, to me, it right. seems like not two different bands, but in, in some ways, there seems to be quite a difference between the two bands. Do you look at it that way, or? Yeah, uh, it was definitely a, a change. You know, um, we we went from being a, a kind of a really cool, culty band 
with a good following to more of a commercial success. And uh, a lot of our older fans kind of turned on us because they they thought we kind of sold out um, by going the, you know, the big producer route and uh, and uh, having s- some songs written, you know, for us and not by the band. And that worked both ways. It 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 kind of put off some of our older fans and. And then it got us a whole new bunch of fans. So, um, again, it was some of us uh, rode through that uh, and and uh, stayed with it, and and uh, some other people took it took it badly. Was it difficult to write through that? Well, yeah. I mean, it was it was uh, the success was good, you know, the but it didn't feel like uh as good as it did like when we the first first three records, you know, we were kind of on top of the world with with who we are and what we were doing and people liked us and we were kind of the cool guys, you know, and and that was uh that was good times. And then um the capital era was kind of like you're just sort of uh I don't know. It was successful, but it was uh, different. It was a. I guess we were older too, and we kind of had a different view of it. And I wonder. Okay, so when you sat down and wrote music, how much of it was driven by what should go into a show versus what the song is? Like, was it all about the show when you wrote, or was it about music first? Let's see if we can put it in the show. Well, yeah, that's that's kind of what I was talking about before. It was like you'd have a song, and you'd, you'd be developing the song, and then we'd start thinking about how we can put it into the show. So it would always kind of gravitate in that direction, you know. It wasn't like, you know, uh, the the... When we were writing music, it was it was more, um, how can this, how can we fit this into the show, and and what what would work after that, and rather than you know, uh, well, I mean, it had both elements, but the the show part of it did have a, a the biggest magnetic effect of where it was going to go, you know, I think. Would you ever have written a song that was great but never made it into? The, sh- the show because- all of them <laughs> <laughs> well that yeah i got i got all kinds of songs okay the- which is probably why you released a solo album a number of years ago yeah um that was what 2013 or something like that i i did a solo record i'm working on, i got another one i got some time book next month for uh to start uh, in the studio, I got I got a couple records uh, sitting in my computer that I got to get to, and I just been you know this pandemic has been really I'm not not supposed to mingle with anybody, so yeah. <laughs> uh, I got my shots now, so I I can I can start booking some time, so I'm going to do that. If I'm not mistaken, I think last spring you were supposed to play in upstate new york close to toronto i i think i remember seeing i think you guys were going to be around the the area around you play my, uh Tonawanda, is that up there yeah like around play, buffalo buffalo new york buffalo yeah, yeah, yeah. buffalo i remember seeing yeah. the yuga niagara falls yeah. too I, I wonder how much we, of that is more because of the original sh- band and the show versus the hits that came with capital. Um. Well, of course, uh, she's a beauty, and talk to you later. Or, or you know, people got to want to hear those songs as much as they want to hear white punks. Yeah. You know, but they, you know, we're not leaving the sh- the stage without playing white punks. It's just not going to happen. So it's 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 kind of all combined. You know, our our audience is is uh, older. <laughs> so uh they bring their kids and uh and point at us and say look at these guys they're they're fun. So uh 
um, yeah, I think it's, I would say both. It, uh, I don't think there's, uh, any, anybody that wouldn't come because of the capital or there wouldn't, if that's what you're saying, I, I, I think that's, there's, they just, they're still coming. I don't know. Yeah. Well, which is neat. I, I, at what point did you think, because you initially questioned the band and whatever, sorry, let me ask you, did you, was there ever a time when you thought maybe we should hold back on the stage show or was that like an impossible thing? Like the tubes had to do. It was kind of, it's kind of, it was kind of an impossible thing once that, once the ball got rolling. I mean, I was kind of, I'm sure everyone would be surprised to hear me even say this, you know, I, I don't, it's not like I've spoke about it a lot, but, uh, I just, I always kind of had this sort of reserve about it and more interested in, in working on the music than I was, uh, you know, getting the dance steps down and, and, uh, building the, the, the paper mache, uh, objects for the stage. And, and, you know, um, I mean, I like a good show. Mm -hmm. I'm not saying I don't, I, I, I think it's wonderful, but, uh, it's proved to be expensive and a bit of a distraction, I think in the giant picture, you know? Uh, it, there's people that do that stuff really good, and uh, nowadays it'd be nice to, you know, just focus on the music and have somebody else do that. <laughs> but uh, uh, we did it all ourselves. Mm -hmm. We did everything. We made the props. We created the the jokes. We created the the sets we created the music we did it all so and it was a lot mm -hmm. to get everything right you know so but you know we had some success oh for sure you, you I, I guess liked it <laughs> so <laughs> um was there a point where because i know that the band kind of i don't know if it split up properly or whatever in the 80s or late 80s that the like fee left the band and whatever yeah yeah, if he was gonna be a an actor or something, he was in. He's still in L.A. Right. Um, and the band carried on. Uh, of course, you know, not having Fee there was was a uh, a disappointment for a lot of people. But you know, we did. We had some great shows. Uh, we had uh, our original bass player, Killingsworth, who was in the went to Japan and stuff. He came back. And kind of filled in uh, for the lead singer role for a while, but it was hard on him. He wasn't he wasn't up for it because he could sing one night, and uh, then his voice would be gone for the next next night, and uh, so it wasn't good in that regard. It takes a a lot of our songs are high, and uh, it takes a special strength to kind of pull it off and and uh not just come stepping in and trying to do it it was it was pretty tough to do um and was the band as theatrical or less so no 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 we didn't we kind of for 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 that kind of got in foregone for a while uh as we were just playing gigs the people want you know that we had a we'd play smaller bars and stuff and and just kind of keep going um i don't know if it was bad i i enjoyed it and it was it was uh we had a lot of good shows but you know fee always complains about it it's like oh that was awful you know <laughs> <laughs> okay so at what point do you realize that now the band is something else it's it's not i mean it's you can still go out and tour and attract decent crowds. You know, was was at one point or another things must have changed that all of a sudden people saw the band a different way, to a point where they would bring their kids to come and see you. Yeah, you know, it, everybody's kind of 
lived through this time and and kind of seen a lot of stuff so you know the it's what it's you're afraid of what you don't know right the if you don't know what what's you if you don't know what something is you're afraid of it um but now everybody knows what we are <laughs> it's like we're we're just having a good time and and trying to do something funny and uh, I don't think anybody's afraid of us anymore. Um, <laughs> and when you go back on tour, like let's say, you know, come next year or later on this year, you decide to start touring again. How much work goes into planning a new show? Well, it, we're going to have to do some some work. Uh, we were actually we were when we stopped uh, beginning of uh, last year. We were doing uh, a whole uh, completion backwards principle oh, set, uh, you know, and um, that was going really well. And uh, now to start up again, we actually have uh, a tour booked in October, I think. And uh, whether that happens or not, you know, who knows? Because, I mean, Europe's going into lockdown again. Um I got my shots, <laughs> um, but it's it's hard to say. I, uh, I'd love to. I've heard that uh, Live Nation is is planning on doing summer shows. Oh, that's good. Um, and uh, hopefully, um, some of this bailout money will will revive a lot of the the clubs that that were struggling. So I guess there's some provision in in that giant um, fund that that is for uh, club owners and and uh, musical venues that that are have been shut down all this time that they can kind of pull themselves up again when probably a lot of those places are places that we would play so right. uh, the pieces have to fall into to place uh, but but would you continue with the same concept as last year's tour or something completely different? Well, I, I would think that we would want to change again, you know. Uh, we didn't do every place we wanted to play with that show, you know. Uh, I was talking to Fee a, a couple days ago about that. And he said, well, some of these places we didn't do that show, you know. There's only a couple of these on this on this run that we've done that show at. Okay, but I don't know. It seems like we should start fresh again to me, in my mind, you know, put in a couple of weeks of rehearsal and and uh, get something new going. So that's what I'd like to do. But we haven't decided that yet. If we go back again, I know you're talking about going to London and, and the, the big press corps that greeted you early on in your career. What do you think it was about the UK that... I, and I don't know about the rest of Europe, but the UK seems to love the band. How did that happen? And what do you, how can you, how do you know, or what can you say about that? Um, I I love uh, English crowds. I mean, they're they're so enthusiastic and so, uh, so great. Um, I you know they like they like the pop stuff. Um, I don't know what it is. They they're they uh, they're just very aware of of all the little everything you're trying to to say and and just into it. I don't know. It's it was like that. And they kind of knew about us. Uh, the first time we went to Europe, uh, the only the only album they had there was a was a bootleg album. Hmm. It's called. Uh, darted in my own armchair which uh was a live a live show we did at the shrine auditorium in la and they broadcast it on the radio and some enterprising young i would say i don't know english guy i guess or or somebody darted in my own armchair almost sounds like it's somebody from amsterdam or something (laughs) But somebody recorded it and put out a record there, and that was like the only record that they had of us at that time, uh, which was kind of disappointing. But 
Um, I don't know. I, I they set up a a big deal. <laughs> I don't know. So, and we were there trying to be interesting. So, and uh, as far as I was concerned, I would just as soon been in the hotel. Let somebody else do that. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I know that there is a following in Europe as well. Is it weird when when people like the band more in some areas than not? Yeah, uh, it, it is weird. They like us in Germany. They liked us in England. They like us in uh, the Netherlands. France, I, we toured in France a bit, but I, I don't know what we're... I don't think we're that you know. It's like we're not romantic or something enough for for the French people. I don't you know. I don't know. It's weird. And in the we, states, is it pretty well? Con- like, uh, can you go anywhere in the states and it's pretty consistent? We we most most of our gigs are on the coasts, and in the northeast. We don't. We very seldom play. I mean, we don't play you know, uh, Louisiana or Mississippi. We did We did when we do in our big uh, completion backwards tour. We did all the colleges all through there. But as, as far as getting steady work in, uh, you know, like a gig a year or two gigs a year in Louisiana or Missouri or Alabama, no. <laughs> it seems so weird. We kind of do... We kind of do a, 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 a little circuit in, in uh, the northeast and the northwest, up and down the coast. And that's, you know, we play, of course, we play Chicago and Minnesota and, and uh, Detroit and stuff like that. But Ohio, Ohio's good. So, but when, you, when you're working on this new album of yours, is it different? approach to what you would do to re- contribute songs to the band like what's the difference between a Roger Steen album or a Roger Steen project versus Roger Steen writing for the tubes uh, that's a good question uh, we used to you know just bring songs in and everybody would work them up together in our basement or in our in our you know SIR or some rehearsal area and now, it it just I play all the parts and come up with everything and and uh, that's different, you know. Um, I I still think about well, when I'm writing a song, I think about the tubes performing it or me performing it. I I kind of look at it like, should this be a tube song or? But I don't even know if the tubes will ever do another record. You know, I I. I would hope so, but the last the last one we did, it was like nobody really, it didn't get any traction at all because nobody wants to hear any new songs from the tubes. They want to, any new song we do in our set, which we've tried to do, is like you're taking up space for the songs they want to hear because mm. we have an old audience, you know. They, they want to, they paid the money to come see the songs that, they want to hear which is you know don't want to wait anymore and white punks and talk to you later and she's a beauty and what do you want from life and all the songs that they love and if we play something new they're like you know they're like tapping their fingers on on the table going okay uh you guys gonna play (laughs) (laughs) and do you feel you guys gonna play up from the deep (laughs) Uh, so do you feel that it's kind of a that's a rock and a hard place, really. Yeah. But do you feel that immediately when you introduce a new song, you get a different vibe from the audience? Uh, yeah, yeah. Because they have to compete with songs that are already in the listener's head, right? right? They know, you're playing a song that they've heard they're in, the, in their life, and they, it's part of their DNA or whatever. And then you play a new song, and they it doesn't have the same impact. I mean, if they... If they'd heard it on the radio, or or they'd bought the the CD, or or downloaded the song, and they knew it, then that would be the same. But it's not. If you're playing something new, they're kind of like, okay, yeah, that was nice, but 
we didn't really pay for that. We, didn't, <laughs> we, we want we want what we want. So you know that's why I, I, I you know it's a good release to do a do a solo record because I'm still I actually came up with a couple songs in the last couple of weeks, so it's still coming out, you know. And I got I got too many songs to finish up at this point, so I don't know what I'm doing writing more songs. Do you have a goal or like what do you hope to achieve releasing your own stuff? I don't have any uh I don't have any uh preconceived idea of of success. Um I I don't I know nobody cares. There's just too much music out there. Um it's it's just an exercise in what I do, and I want to stay busy, and uh, and I enjoy doing it, um, and I try to do the best I can. But as far as any success or any payback for the investment, it ain't gonna happen, you know. But what happens is, like I can sell it at, you know, at the shows, and I can sell it uh, online, and people tell you that they really like it you know they they appreciate it and that's what it's about that's that's really all it is 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 to to write a song that somebody likes and they'll tell you i really like that song that's a great song you did a good job you know that's all it is it's it's what i do you know that's all i that's all it is i i'm not going to be believing that it's going to be a a success or somebody's going to give me an award for it or anything like that do you think you're as good a songwriter if not better than the songwriter you were in the 70s and 80s uh probably different uh, i think i'm better but um who knows uh it's that's just my opinion <laughs> but does, <laughs> does know, writing like, a song still excite you like do you finish a song and go man that's great yeah yeah especially before it's done you go that's great and then when it's done you go eh. <laughs> <laughs> that's i think that's the way it is for a lot of songwriters you know if they're being honest it's like the potential is uh the potential is always better it's always more exciting and then when it gets done it's like well okay oh it's pretty good but it's the the that always, I always go back to think about when we were in Osaka in the at the World's Fair, the theme of the Russian pavilion was called the beauty of unfinished things, hmm. and it was like they had like mannequins like working on the building and these different little things that kind of go with that theme, and I always love that theme because it's really true. Um, there is beauty in things that are unfinished. But, but but I wonder if you go back to it because oftentimes when you're working on stuff, I, I'm talking as for me, it's I'm as I'm an editor, and it's painful sometimes when I'm editing videos, and when I'm finished with it, I I just want to step away from it. But six months later, I could look at it and go, yeah, that wasn't bad. I mean, do you get that sense yeah. after you walk away from yourself? I always do. I always do that whenever I'm doing a track. I always, I, when I got it somewhat where I think I like it, I'll walk away. And I'll come back either the next day or later on in the day and listen again. Because you get so into these little minutiae things uh, that you kind of lose sight of, of the the total, uh, the whole point of of what it is you're 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 saying is gets lost in these little tiny things and then if you go away for a while come back and and watch it you go oh yeah okay that was a good idea maybe i could do it a little better but not just focus in on one little like just this part's just not quite right you know and then if if you do this album um, could you appreciate it, even if the audience, some audience member doesn't come to you and say, 
I love this song. Like, could you appreciate it for for what it is, the piece of work that you did? Or do you need that feedback? Yeah, yeah. I think I, I think I, I, I think I, I would. If I, if I was happy with it, I'd be, um, I'd be thrilled. Because I'm never happy with what I do. <laughs> so if I was happy with it, that'd be awesome. And the same thing, do you look back on the old tube stuff and still feel, oh, we could have done it better? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Could you, would you ever be able to? I always, I, I look back on that stuff and I think it's so overproduced. It's ridiculous. Is that so. the sign of time? Was that just the way things were done back then or do you think it was something else? I just think we, we, uh, we were so willing to let people lead us, you know, as to, to what to do. I'm not saying that I, I think it's bad. It's all bad. It's terrible. I think it's, it would have been more honest if we, if we would have maybe taken more control ourselves. And I'm speaking about me. I was, I'm too much of, uh, you know, not getting in the way of things and, and letting people take charge. And I just kind of go, Oh, okay. Um, uh, that's a fault that I have where I kind of sometimes think maybe I should have tried to take a little more control, but that's on me. But the band is pretty much, I mean, what I read was it was more of a democracy than anything else. Correct. That it was. Yes. Yes. So even then, that was a difficult thing to push forward. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, ex what you're saying, yes, that's true. We were a democracy, yeah, and so you only had one vote. So, um, my final question: What's it like when you play with Fee and with Prairie Prince for? I don't know how many years, but you guys have played together for a long, long time. What's that like? Prairie and I have played together since 1966. That's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And uh, it's, you know, it's very comfortable. Prairie is Prairie's like the kind of, the, he, he plays with a lot of people because he just makes you sound better. He just that's he's a drummer that just makes what you do sound better, mm -hmm. and that's why people want to have him in their band. He gets a lot of studio calls and and uh, you know I was very lucky to to be paired with him from early on because you know it, I just he just made everything I do sound like I knew what I was doing because he's he's awesome so. Uh, that was good. Yeah, it's 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 you know it's like family. We're family. We you know we argue and we can have fights and stuff, but it's like we're brothers, you know. Well, it's an impressive achievement, and and the fact that you guys can still tour and and have an audience. I know it's amazing. I can't believe it. It's it's like what people want us to go on tour again. <laughs> <laughs> well. But you know, it's it's fun. It's keep your hand in it, and it's not like, it's not like uh, we're making a million dollars. But um, it's fun to keep your hand in it and keep remembering who you are and and uh, getting to see the people that have seen you for years coming back again, shaking hands, and maybe not so much shaking hands anymore. But but it's I don't know. We'll have to see what we do about that. <laughs> but it's pretty amazing because I presume there must have been really really tough times with the band, and then oh yeah, but to kind of come out the other side and just have have the band as an entity that that's respected and that people still want to come out and see you and maybe more people want to come out and see you now than they did a certain time in your career is pretty well. I I do I, I do feel very lucky. Um, to be able to have that because so many good players never really uh, got out of their own cities, you know, and they better players than, than we ever were, but they just never got that break. Uh, never had that, that little magical thing that happened that got them out of the, you know, ahead of everybody else. And the tubes are very lucky in that way. We got, we got uh, a really good, 
deal with A&M and, and uh, got, got out there, not just, I wouldn't say luck, but uh, hard work and, and being brave. You know, the Tubes are a super brave band. I will, I will say that about the, the band. We were brave. We did things that probably we shouldn't have, but <laughs> we did them. <laughs> so that's one thing the Tubes were, were brave. Well, Roger, I, I was a fan as a 15-year-old. I'm over 60 now, and I'm still a fan. Um, and thank you so much for taking this time with me. I really appreciate it. Well, thank you. Thank you. Thank you.